Julia Gerlach, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer. Welcome to the latest episode of the 2019 No-Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, Getting Better Results with a Systems Approach to No-Till and Soil Health, is brought to you by Yetter Manufacturing. I encourage you to subscribe to the series, which is available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about new episodes when they're released. I'd like to take a moment to thank Yetter Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. With a tradition of providing farmers solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions for your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. An ag engineer at the University of Nebraska, Paul Yasa has been studying no-till equipment and farming methods for 38 years. In that time, he's come to see that no-till doesn't just mean putting the plow away. It's really about a systems approach to farm management that starts by understanding the importance of avoiding soil disturbance and managing residue properly to optimize soil biological activity. In this podcast, Yasa, speaking at the 2019 National No-Tillage Conference, explains that a 100% continuous no-tillage system promotes good soil structure and proper nutrient cycling, while also facilitating proper heating and cooling of farm ground. He also covers the advantages of diversifying no-till rotations and explains the benefits of controlling wheel traffic in fields. If you'd like to follow along with this talk, be sure to check out the accompanying slideshow presentation. I'm a firm believer in the no-till system. I'm a firm believer it's residue that makes it work. As an engineer, when I started studying it, it was equipment. The longer I worked with it, I was like Dick Whitman, who we heard earlier, over 38 years. I've been on staff there 38 years. Throughout the years, I've learned a lot. As I learned a lot, it's not the equipment. It's the system's approach to everything. Soil biology is uh, what I'm looking at uh, when it comes to soil health. Uh, soil health includes a lot of things. I like soil health. I like the term soil biology. But the last couple of years, I've been paying more attention to soil biology, trying to figure out what affects it. So that's what I'm gonna talk about here. I've worked with producers for years. I've worked with uh, some other states, some other countries. So I'm gonna show a lot of those kinds of things and think about a systems approach, how things affect each other. And again, Ralph Derbsch, he spoke at this conference several times. Uh, I borrow this slide from him, what a long-term no-till soil looks like. South Americans have extra rainfall, extra growing season, growing cover crop, getting a living root in there. Uh, Ray Ward's over here. He and I went on a tour down there to Brazil and we saw uh, some fields that had three crops a year in it when it comes to living roots. It's the living root that really feeds the soil system. That's why we've got the interest in cover crops. Let's feed that soil system. And we've all come from tillage. When I first started working at the university, we called it conservation tillage. And I was a little surprised Don didn't tell you. Conservation tillage is an oxymoron. You can't have conservation and tillage in the same sentence in our opinion. Conservation agriculture, as Don said, that's sort of more the term the worldwide. Now we in the States here call it no-till here in the Midwest, the Pacific Northwest direct seed. But again, conservation agriculture, we're taking tillage out of the system because at first, we talked about what tillage did to the residue. We gotta think about what it does to soil biology as well. Think about what it does to soil structure. 
Uh, ideally, I like to say a soil is half there, half not there. I draw it as a bar graph. The half that's there is the solids down below. The mineral, the sand, sills, clays, all the nutrients, organic matter, I say 5%, you know, it might be 1% here, 8% here, whatever. The half that's not there is your pore space between the soil particles. That pore space in an ideal situation is about half air, half water. Now, as it rains, the air goes out, it bubbles a little bit if you've got saturated soil conditions. As the crops use water, uh, water goes away and the air comes in, it's sort of breathing there. And we gotta think about that half the stair, that's my lungs, that's my capacity. Well, I start thinking about what tillage has done over the years. I'm an engineer by training, and I'd love to say, I blame the engineers for a lot of things that we've done that's stupid. And I say it simply because, you know, we're out there used to do tillage and we said, oh, that's a little too wet, I can't get through there, I need a bigger tractor, better tires, more horsepower, four wheel drive, whatever. We engineers responded and gave it to you guys. We engineers study steel and equipment and those equations. I went through ag engineering program, got a master's degree, I never took a soils class. And now that I'm actually working with it, I understand that's a mistake, guys. You have to look at that soil. You know, driving on or tilling the wet soil is one of the worst things you can do when it comes to compaction. So again, we've done some dumb things just because we can. And again, here's two forms of compaction, wheel traffic compaction and tillage compaction. Now wheel traffic compaction, there's a lot of areas of the country this year had wet harvests and we see a lot of ruts. If it's so wet that you made ruts, it's too wet to get rid of that rut. Tillage compaction, you may or may not see it. You know, it looks fluffy. You've actually created compaction in the tillage pan down below. And so again, we've got to think about what's going on. As you build no-till soil structure, as you build cover crop roots there, living roots there, compaction gets to be less and less of a problem. I've talked to a lot of long-term no-tillers says, I need cut ruts this year at harvest because the soil can support me. So again, we've got to think about that soil structure. Now, when it comes to compaction, the solids in the soil are not compressible. If you have compaction on the soil, the space you lose is the pore space. That space reappears as that rut. Now, when you look at them, half water, half air, I've got less of each. A compacted soil or a degraded soil, one that's been beat down some, has, gets wet faster when it rains, and gets dry faster when it dries out some because it doesn't have as much water stored. And so again, when I start thinking about soil health and soil biology, I don't like that. I want to keep my factory as big as possible. I want to keep that warehouse working for me. Now, some people say as we build soil structure, that half becomes closer to 60%. I've heard numbers that the pore space even improves more yet. We need to study that, figure that out. But again, that's what I need in my soil situation to make the soil more resilient. So on a tour at K-State, Manhattan Bottoms Farm, riding on the little tour tram, and they're showing us our long-term tillage plots. And Notice the no-till plots are a couple inches taller than all the tilled plots. Tillage has beat down the soil structure. We've lost the pore space. I asked the tour guide there and he, he couldn't explain what was happening. It was when I started thinking about what we've done with tillage and pore space, it's evident we've seen it. You see it a lot of times along a fence row because the fence line has not been tilled. Now I said, driving on or tilling a wet soil, what about dry soils? you're not doing yourself a favor when it comes to soil structure or soil life, soil biology. It's one of the worst things we can do to beat up that soil. And again, when I first started with soil and water conservation, I was concerned about the residue was gone, can't absorb raindrop impact, soil structure's gone, I'm gonna have more erosion and runoff. I gotta look at what's going on to soil biology as well. Harry Ward and I were on a field day a few years ago in Western Nebraska, and we had a producer who was wheat fallow 
organic. Now, for those guys out west, understand wheat fallow, for you guys back east here don't know what it is, but basically they thought to save water, after harvesting this crop, you let the land set for 14 months. You skip next growing season to store up water. But in reality, there's no soil out there I know of that can store two years worth of precip. In reality, what they were doing was actually doing tillage to oxidize and mineralize the soil, to mine the soil, to raise the next crop. And we had a soil pit dug there, and the soil surface is just above the top of this. And down to tillage depth there, you can see he's beat every pore out of that soil structure. I asked, I says, what do you average for tillage trips from harvest to next planting? Well, it depends upon the year. 15 to 20 trips. Ooh. What amazed us is, first off, we could pull those layers out, and you can see we ran sweeps at different layers. But look below that. Vertical structure from freeze, thaw, wetting, and drying. We come along with tillage, we erase that. That vertical structure, freeze, thaw, wetting, and drying, and roots, that's what's building our soil for us. Let's quit erasing it. Now I said his wheat fallow, that's what the pit looked like in the fallow ground. This is what his wheat looked like. How much life do you see there? You can barely see the wheat. Now I didn't think of it until afterwards. I should have made a better footprint. Those are my footprints, I took the picture. Does that soil of Neil Armstrong's footprint on the moon look that much different than that? Every one of us knows there's no soil life, no soil biology, no life on the moon. On that tilled soil, I don't think there's much life there either. So again, let's think about soil biology. In that same area, we had another soil pit in a native grass area. Mother Nature has taken sunlight, energy, carbon dioxide, through photosynthesis, root exudates, has built organic matter in our soils. Don talked about that nicely. The work that's been done in recent years, a lot of people say, well, the carbon's the biomass, how much do you produce on top? No, there's more work showing it's the carbon exudates built in the soil. That becomes more important. And so again, that's what Mother Nature has done. That's what we need to look at. That's what we're doing with cover crops and we're starting to look at conservation agriculture. The keys are minimal soil disturbance. Let's not destroy what's there. Keep it covered. Whether it be residue, a growing crop, a cover crop, whatever. Let's keep the sun and wind off soil surface left absorb raindrop impact. Diversity of plants. It's just like when I eat, I like a diversity of food. So does our soil. Let's get a diversity out there. The key is there though, living roots in the soil as much of the year as possible because it's the sunlight energy, the carbon dioxide that gets into the soil, that's what's gonna feed the soil system. Now, that sunlight energy and carbon dioxide is free. We can't store it unless we grow something. Now water we can store in the soil, yes, I'm gonna use some water, and again, it depends where you're at. But on the integrate livestock, I, with my work, our research farm, I don't have livestock. I applaud you guys who do, it makes a big difference. Again, a variety of tillage systems out there in the 80s, I spent time on conservation tillage. Like leave some residue there to reduce erosion. It's much more than that. It's feeding the soil system. And again, one of our fields already planted, I've got residue everywhere. Now, this interest of the living writ in the soil all the time, I'm learning. I've been working on it for 38 years. For the last 15, I've started incorporating cover crops as well, get that living road out there. But again, it becomes a water management thing as well. Feed that soil system. And again, of those uh, 38 years, in 1981, I established a set of tillage plots, tilled versus no-till, a variety of tillage systems. I love the no-till system. I've learned a lot across those years. 
Uh, one of the things, well, failed to point out, notice my tilled is a little lower elevation than the no-till, just like at K-State. Tilled just to beat down that soil structure some. Well, as an engineer, you like to put numbers to things. So I went out in that tillage layer, three to six inch depth, looked at bulk density of the soil. No-till, 1.1, the disc was 1.39. Well, in the basic soils class, they'll say the bulk density of most soils is around 1.4. No-till's fluffier. Below the tillage depth, 1.45. It's not enough to restrict root growth yet. I only till about a half acre a year. I can time that disking that doesn't do too much damage. But look at no-till, 1.2. And again, standard is 1.4. I'm getting better soil structure, fluffier soil without doing tillage. So again, we gotta think about what we're doing to the soil. Those plots are in place since 1981. In 2008, I got ambitious. Actually, ambitious means find someone with a soil probe who wants to do the work. We took soil samples down to six feet deep. I drove out to Ward Laboratories and Ray Ward analyzed this. Uh, and the top layer is 0.4 inches and everyone says, well, you got more carbon, that light blue bar is the no-till, the mobile plow is sort of the purple bar on the side. More carbon is always in the top layer because that's where all your residue is. Look at depths four to eight, eight to 16, 16 to 32. I got more carbon all the way down in the no-till. Now the interesting one is there, 16 to 32, there's quite a bit more carbon than the tilled. You read some studies where they say, long-term no-till is not building carbon very much in depth. Raton Law's got one. I actually asked Raton, I says, how many of those studies that you're analyzing are on fields with tile drainage? He goes, what difference does that make? I says, there's, you sample calcium carbonate in the drainage line. Calcium carbonate, there's some carbon leaving the system. I don't have tile. My rainfall's moving my calcium carbonate down in the soil, perhaps. And again, on down to six feet. That was in 2008, I took those samples. 2018, 10 years later, I called Ray and I said, I'm gonna take the samples. Ray, it's rained too much, I don't have the sampling done. It'll be 2019, I'll take the samples. <laughs> but again, I talked to someone who publishes for an agronomic journal, and I says, is this worth publishing? He goes, well, what's your baseline? What was it in 1981? I looked at him and says, who in 1981 was even thinking about carbon in the soil? We'll come back to Paul Yassa's presentation in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Yetter Manufacturing, for supporting today's episode. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and to maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. Now let's get back to Paul Yassa as he talks more about the advantages and benefits of a well-planned no-till system. Again, we've changed over the years, people. Now, 2008, the reason I sampled that year, I took my tillage plots. Originally it was no-till with and without row crop coloration, a single disc, a double disc, fall chisel, fall plow. In 2008, I took the no-till with coloration change to no-till with cover crops, with CC. Disc with cover crops. So I got tilled with and without cover crops since 2008. Here's a four-year average, look at the yields. And a lot of my farmer friends looked at that and says, cover crops, oh, it cost you 12 bushel over straight no-till. Why are you doing no-till? I looked, I says, why are you doing tillage? They all cost more than 12 bushel. 
So again, you gotta think about it. Now, where I'm at in Nebraska, moisture conservation is a concern as well. At that time, I'm using a cover crop that I'm planting after harvest, it doesn't get very big. Next spring, it doesn't get very big because I'm killing it early to plant. I'm not raising a bunch of biomass, but I am providing a living root to the soil. On the soybean side, a little bit of differences there. And again, my cover crop never gets bigger than that. This spring was a cool wet spring. It was about this big when I sprayed it out. But again, these are the tillage plots. You can see the different tillage treatments there. 2015 was a nice year. 223 on top, oops, still lost a bunch of yield to cover crop. Still beat all the tilts. So no-till cover crop is still better than the tilts. Again, I love the no-till system. When it comes to inputs, the inputs are the same minus the cost of the tillage on the no-till. I'm not doing anything special in the no-till. 2018, our last harvest just went by. No-till with cover crop. Oops, look at that, I picked up eight bushel in the corn there. 2008, we had plenty of rain. The cover crop used maybe water? I don't think so, I sprayed it when it was this big. I think it's a healthier soil, more resilient, so it can handle the more rain. And I say this purposely because there's too many people think you plant the cover crop this year, you're gonna get immediate response next year. No, you're doing the cover crop to build soil health, build soil biology, build more resilience in the system. And in tough years, it's gonna pay. In other years, it may not pay. And when people say, well, it costs you money. And I ask, how much does it cost you to change the oil in your tractor? Did that make you any income? No, but it made the tractor last longer. To me, soil biology, cover crop, soil structure is making my soil last longer. So again, we think about that. I showed you yields from the last couple of years. I will say this, here's 1981. The young engineer studying planting equipment, running planters side by side, there's my no-till. And going to go pass into the disc treatment. I learned a lot over the years. It's not just the equipment, it's a systems approach. Weed control, never let weeds get ahead of you. It's systems approach, nutrients, it's everything. Think systems approach. One of the keys, I say own your own sprayer. Don't let weeds get ahead of you. I learned a no-till and Roundup was $100 a gallon. I don't like Roundup ready crops. Now, when it got down cheaper, yes, I love Roundup ready beans, but I use a pre-program as well, because again, that's how I learned to no-till. You'd be amazed what your equipment can do. Herbicide reindeer and activated, systems approach again. Fur openers, we used to use that to push away dry soil on clods with no-till. We've got good soil moisture to plant into. Again, I like the no-till. And when we start thinking about moisture, when it comes to soil biology, when it comes to cover crops, moisture is one of the keys. Uh, people say, well, you lose some moisture when you till the soil. Well, in Nebraska, I lose moisture. Further east, they say, I gotta till it to dry it out. I wanna lose the water. Well, if I'm doing two or three trips and I get a soil that looks like that, I'm in trouble. If I do two and three trips and I got rain, yeah, it costs me a little fuel, a little bit of labor, or custom rate perhaps, but I lose my residue, I lose my soil life, I have raindrop impact, I have erosion, I have sediment, I have nutrients moving, I have the neighbors getting mad at me because I'm filling up the road ditches, whatever. Even if you're on a flat soil and erosion's not a problem, I got crusting. That crusting's a couple things, residue's moving, missing, and there's no soil structure, no soil life. So it all fits together. Leave the residue in place. Leave all the residue in place. Again, corn on corn here, plant it off beside the old row. Dwayne Beck says a lot of people are trying to move residue at planting time, trying to make planting warmer and drier. I leave the residue in place because I want to make the rest of the growing season cooler and wetter. That's going to protect my soil health, soil biology.
Norm Clucky, he used to be in Nebraska. He did some work there. These are two different years, simply bare soil versus crop canopy at growing corn. He measured the evaporation off of both surfaces. Did that through the entire growing season. Cut evaporation 30 to 50% simply by having something growing, getting the sun and wind off the soil surface. And I get a lot of farmers say, I always have something growing. I go, no, you don't. In the off season, particularly if you do fall tillage, you've got bare soil, you've got evaporation, you've got soil moisture losses taking place. Norm followed it through, he had residue there. Again, cut evaporation in half under the no crop system. That's why you wanna leave your residue in the off season. But look at under the crop canopy, cut evaporation even more yet. Let's save that water. Again, two different years there. Uh, Dave Nielsen, Akron, standing wheat stubble. Get the sun and wind off the growing surface. Two inches of water savings. Even more if you got taller harvest residue from stripper header. And I say this because again, when it comes to water conservation, it's important to us back west. Back east, it's important to you too when it comes to feeding the soil system. The evaporation, the numbers I've seen, uh, two and a half to five inches, not uncommon. Now we start thinking about it, how about infiltration? I did some meetings down in the boot heel of Missouri. I was there for three days, it rained five inches and I snapped this picture. They're grading the soil, trying to get rid of the water. Now, not visible in this picture, but in the background are pivots. And I'm sitting there scratching my head, you get 45 inches of rain and you got a pivot. Corn only takes 25 for full ET. Well, yeah, this all runs away, none of it soaks in, I have to irrigate. Let's build soil structure, soak that in. Don't let it get away. And that's what I'm after with my long-term soil health continuous no-till. I'm on long-term plots after about 25 years and went out there and measured infiltration. I use controlled wheel traffic. I drive the same place year after year. In the till row, wheel track, two-tenths inch per hour. The soft row under the tractor never been driven on, four-tenths inch per hour. According to the NRCS soil survey, it says saturated intake rate in that soil is between two-tenths and six-tenths because of the clay in that soil swells and doesn't let water soak in when it's saturated. Notice my no-till, six-tenths in the wheel track. Where I haven't driven, I got soil structure, I can soak in four inches per hour. With controlled traffic and good soil structure, we've virtually eliminated runoff on that farm. We're in a 27-inch rainfall area. I said full ET of corn is 25. That full ET of corn is calculated under tillage. I raised 200 to 260 bushel corn in dry land without irrigation on 27 inches of rainfall because I'm keeping my water. Soil health, soil structure. Again, southeast Nebraska is out driving around. There's a six inch rain in the middle of June. Here's a farmer pulled up and says, what are you doing? I said, I'm just looking at how the rain was. Yes, oh, worthless rain. Six inches came so fast it all ran off. It crested my soil, filled up my terraces, washed up my terraces, worthless rain. He's a tillage farmer. His neighbor crossed the road, long-term no-till. Same six-inch rain, all soaked in, very little runoff. Little water in the terrace channel. He had a full soil moisture profile for grain sorghum in the middle of June. That's money in the bank. So again, soak the water in, don't send it away. I put the question mark in the six. You don't always get that but it's not uncommon to see two extra inches of infiltration. Get that extra water. Dry year, 2000, my long-term tillage plots. We had 11 inches of rain during the growing season. Neighbors were feeling pretty good when they're harvesting 25 bushel beans until they heard my no-till at 47. 
Grain sorghum to the line, tilled 61, no-till 121. Again, soak that water in, don't let it get away, have residue there, don't let it evaporate, use that water. That's what we're doing. Now build you up, you guys are saving water. For anybody who says they don't have enough water for a cover crop, here's where my extra water comes from, because I'm saving water. And again, we got a lot of farmers say, I no-till my corn into my soybean residue in Nebraska. But they till their corn residue to plant their beans. That is a tilled soil structure, that is a tilled soil life, there's a lack of soil biology. Continuous no-till is what makes it work. Further east, people say, I no-till my beans into the corn residue, but I till before planting my corn. You're not gonna get to that soil life, soil biology that you need with continuous no-till. It's continuous. Again, the soil clod there on the left, long-term no-till, about 10 plus years there, compared to walking across the fence. You can imagine which one has better pores, better infiltration, better water storage capacity. Organic matter hasn't changed too much there yet. Organic matter changes slowly if you're not doing cover crops because remember, it's the root that puts carbon into the soil. We've done some work with rainfall simulators. I used to borrow one from ARS at Iowa State and built one of our own for research purposes. But when we start doing that rainfall simulator work, you've probably seen the table or the small rainfall simulator demonstrations. Again, they show the value of residue, they show the value of soil structure, so the value of something growing there. The small demonstrations look something like this, where the first three there are same soil, but it's difference in residue. The next one is no-till without residue, it has half the runoff because the soil structure is there. Better yet, permanent vegetation, something growing there. Now this is very intense rain, that's put on in the neighborhood of 12, 15 inches per hour, so it's the worst case scenario. But again, build that soil up. Let's run a total. Earlier I was throwing up those numbers. Five to 12 extra inches of water. What do you do with that? Well, I got some friends who irrigate. Irrigation in Nebraska center pivots cost about $15 an acre inch for your variable cost. If I can save five inches, just the low end, that's an extra $75 an acre in water savings. Now, the five to 12, I can save a hell of a lot more. You're not irrigator. Corn responds about 12 bushels per acre inch. Five bushels is an extra 60 bushel corn. Beans, three and a half, that's an extra 17 bushel of beans. My dryland production in southeast Nebraska, the county average the last few years has been averaging about 140. Our yield goes 200. I've had 225, 234 this last year. I'm 60 bushel above, 60 bushel above. I'm using that extra water. I got some friends. Minnesota, flat, poorly drained soil. They used to be corn, soybeans with tillage. They switched to no-till, and they said the soil's too cold, too wet. They didn't do anything to intensify their cropping system to use the water that no-till saved them. Now, they do tillage to blow off that water. I'm raising better yields, because I'm in an area I don't have too much water. My water savings is instant yield. For this guy, his extra water should be cover crop. Grow the water, grow some carbon into the soil, feed the soil system. So again, think about no-till, let's use the water that no-till saves. Again, Norm Clocky, he went down to K-State, he was working down there, and he started looking at residue on a soil surface. Bare soil, he measured eight-tenths evaporation per day during the growing season in his corn. Eight hundreds, I'm sorry, eight hundreds. Short season, 100-day corn for easy math, times 100 days, that's eight inches of water lost to evaporation. He's in an area of about 20 inches of rainfall. 
Eight inches was gone. It's no wonder they have to irrigate. Left some residue cover, seven ten or seven hundredths. Left hundred percent covered down to five. That's three hundredths times hundred day season is three inches of water saved. I already threw that number up for evaporation. Norm's reinforcing that number. Keep that soil covered to save some water. Every one of you here, sometimes during the summer, are sitting there you know, saying, I wish it would rain. I got three extra inches of water stored. I can wait longer for rain. With my soil, it's deep enough that we store about two and a half inches of water per foot. We got a six to eight foot root zone on our bottoms. Our hillside's about a five foot root zone. I can go a month with no rain. They still raise 150, 200 bushel corn. So again, save the water. Build a soil structure that saves it. You know, there's tight economy today. I hate ads like this. Don't leave the residue in the field converted to income. I don't want to part with my residue because it's too important for me to feed the soil system. The carbon that's being hauled away, you can't replace. You know, I can go to the co-op. Every one of those bales, think of that as a $20 bale when it comes to nutrient value. I can buy the co-op buy those nutrients I hauled away, but I can't buy the carbon. I can't buy the residue, the mulch. You might need it for livestock feed. Hey, cattle got legs. Bring them out there. The nutrients, about 80, 85% of it stays because of urine stay. Livestock management becomes important there. And again, that's why people are putting livestock back in the system to help build soil biology. Soil biology, I've been talking about it. When I started doing no-till, this is about 200, 210 bushel corn on the Rogers Memorial Farm. When I first started no-tilling, we had a knife-to-knife snap and roll on our combine, really chewing up the residue. That makes it easy to plant. This is a picture taken a day after harvest. Now this is a different field, and this is about 20 years later when soil biology built. There's 220 bushel corn. Where's my residue? Soil biology's eating it up. And I can always tell when a farmer calls, if he's complaining about that trash plugging up his planter, he doesn't have soil biology. If he's saying, how can I get more residue? I know he's got soil biology and he needs to grow some more residue. So again, where are you at in the system? Or a producer I met says, uh, vertical tillage, you need vertical tillage to get rid of that residue. Yes, it cuts it loose and it blows away or washes away. I'm not a fan of the vertical tillage. He says, how do I plant through this? And I said, run your residue movers about this far above the ground, push out the piles and did you buy that or rent it? And he goes, I rented it, thank goodness. Not a fan of the vertical tillage. There's also some work out of K-State showing that one past the vertical tillage, the soil disturbance on that top layer cut an infiltration in half and double the runoff. Again, if you want to save water, I don't like vertical tillage. I like standing residue, catch snowfall. For the winters, we have snow. That's free moisture. Get that in the soil. Uh, Long-term no-till. On the left there is a tile spade full of soil from my no-till plot, and the right is from my, plow pl or my disc plot. You can see the soil structure there lets the water soak in. On the no-till, when that snow is melting, it soaks in. On the tilled, that top layer is froze. When the snow is melting, it's running off. And again, that's soil structure, soil health. The other thing in soil structure and soil health is from down below, the heat of the earth rises through that good structure. And our soils are actually warmer at planting time than our tilled neighbors. Because the soil didn't freeze hard and we got heat rising from below. And again, just another year here, 2009, to the line. Tilled, 210, no-till, 237. Look at the standability of the corn. As I built soil structure, I get better roots and the corn stands better. We plant deeper, the corn stands better. So again, I love the no-till.
Thanks for listening to the No-Till Farmer podcast. If you've been enjoying all the advice and ideas shared by the No-Till authorities featured in this series, then join us in St. Louis from January 7th through 10th for the 28th Annual National No-Tillage Conference. Behind the theme, Banking More Dollars with No-Till, we've lined up more than 30 top-notch no-tillers, agronomists, researchers, and other no-till experts to deliver innovative ideas that can help you get the most out of your no-till farming system. Share ideas and get solutions to your toughest no-till challenges during 13 thought-provoking general sessions, 23 expert-led no-till classrooms, 76 farmer-to-farmer roundtable discussions, and two exclusive workshops on soil biology and raising hemp as a specialty crop. The National No-Tillage Conference is 100% money-back guaranteed to bring all of the resources, information, and networking opportunities you need to help your no-till operation reach new heights in 2020. Listeners of this podcast can receive a $20 registration discount by visiting notillfarmer.com forward slash NNTC and entering code PODCAST20 at checkout. Love the no-till. Here's a couple of visitors from the United Kingdom. We're planting down through about 210, 215 corn residue. Notice next to no root balls rolled out. On my long-term tillage plots, the day I was supposed to do my spring disc, and I went out and grabbed a stalk, went to the no-till, grabbed a stalk, held them up, snapped this picture. One on your left is from the disc plot. The disc has killed the soil biology. The one on the right is from the no-till. Soil biology is there, the roots are rotting off. The roots, the nutrients are cycling back into the soil system. That same field a few weeks later, no root balls, but look how much residue is disappearing as now it's contacting the soil, soil biology is working on it. I'm a firm believer in cycling your residue, cycling your nutrients when your next crop is growing. Because that residue there, some of the carbon's going down, a lot of the carbon's going up. If that next crop is growing there, it's gonna take it in. If I did fall tillage, my next crop isn't there until next spring, the carbon that went this way is gone. So again, cycle your residue when your next crop is growing. Step up the soil biology. Let's uh, put new crops in the rotation, diversify. Let's put forages in the rotation. Better yet, grazing, leave the nutrients there. Use cover crops, but get that living root in the soil. Again, back to my long-term tillage plots. I said in 2008, I added covers. On the right side of the screen is fall chiseled every year since 1981, spring dist twice every year since 1981. And this is in 2014. I'm out there to do my spring disking first pass. On the left side, there's no-till since 1981, the covers since 2007. The soil biology is such that I ate up all my residue. And again, for the people who think I have to do tillage to get rid of the residue, no, the tillage got rid of soil biology. It was a soil biology that gets rid of residue. So again, build soil biology. About 200 bushel corn residue the day after harvest out there seeding the cover crop. 2005, I started a study looking at carbon versus nitrogen cover crops. Austrian winter peas versus cereal rye into corn residue. Bin run soybeans versus bin run corn in, or bin run soybeans versus bin run milo into wheat residue, corn bean wheat rotation. Here's Austrian winter peas being seeded in about 200 bushel corn residue. The next spring, where's all the corn residue? That drill, just like a vertical tillage tool, cut and sized the residue. That's the selling point of vertical tillage. That drill, just like vertical tillage tool, put the residue in contact with soil microbes. 
that drill did something extra. It put a seed in the ground to feed the solar system with a living root. The companion set, this is a different field, different year. That's the cereal rye. That's on the left side is cereal rye or uh, the grain sorghum adding the cover crop into that three crop rotation. On the right side is the corn bean wheat rotation without the cover crop. Again, I've stepped up the soil biology that I'm cycling residue. And for the farmer who says, I've got too much residue out there, I tell him, feed the biology, plant a cover. You'll cycle your residue. The key is diversity. Cool season grass, cool season broadleaf, warm season broadleaf, uh, warm season grass there. That's pretty simple. My corn bean rotation on my long-term tillage plots, both warm season. My cover is Austrian winter peas and cereal rye, both cool season, but I've got all four crop types with a real simple cover crop to feed that system. Into wheat stubble, I do a 14-way mix. Couple warm season grasses, couple cool season grasses, couple warm season legumes, couple cool season legumes, couple brassicas for good taproot, couple pollinators for bringing the bees and butterflies. Leftover soybean seed, leftover milo seed, I'm up to 14. What I select there though, into wheat stubble, all of mine winter kills. I don't have the living root in the spring, but you know what? For moisture conservation, I'm still old school enough that I'm worried. Here I'm planting into it, nothing, no attachments on the planter except for a little extra weight. The interesting thing is that's wheat stubble. How much volunteer wheat do you see? With the volunteer wheat has gone away when I put a cover there. If you got something growing, Mother Nature doesn't feel like they need to grow something. Producer I know in Kansas, he grew a little bit more cover than I did in his, his wheat stubble. He used Sorghum Sudan. His cover crop roller is his drill. But boy, when it comes to keeping sun and wind off the soil surface, when it keeps to comes to conserving water, that's pretty hard to beat. When it comes to adding carbon to the system, that's pretty hard to beat. Switch gears a little bit, temperature management. My long-term tillage plots, a few years ago, these years in grain sorghum, the plow versus the no-till. And you can see, first week of June, some heat. The soil got hot enough, sorghum's great, it just goes dormant, it wakes up when the rain comes. It rained, a few weeks later, corn, sorghum took off growing, and we thought, oh, no problem. When the combine rolled, 35 bushel difference. Cover that soil up, keep the sun off that soil surface. June 21, one o'clock in the afternoon. Sun's directly overhead, first day of summer. Walked out to my soybeans growing in corn stalks here. This is dry land, not a lot of residue there, granted. Walked over to the side of the barn. Took the infrared thermometer, shot the barn, and you can see it says 86.5. The thermometer inside of the barn says about 86, whatever. Walked out to the canopy, shot the bean canopy. It's cooler, transpiration of the crop, cools the crop, that's good. Shot the bare soil next to the row, 133. Does anybody here like steak? Throw a steak on the grill. Five minutes at 133, five minutes on the other side, 133. It's rare, I like them rare. It just killed all the bacteria and it's safe to eat that steak, right? What did 133 do to that soil? Killed all my soil life right there in that top layer. Top of the residue, 124. Rake away that little layer of corn stalks, 76. Leave that residue out there temperature management to keep that soil biology alive. 
That's only on an 86 degree day. What about the 100 degree day? What about 120 degree day? I had the opportunity to travel to South Australia. I was watching the weather before I went down. I was going down to speak at the Sanford Conference. This is what their rangeland and pasture land looked like because of a lack of rain and two weeks of 120 degree air temperatures. Things looked bleak. This is a 10 to 12 inch rainfall area. Things looked bleak. They were pleased a cold front came through and it was only 95 when I was there, which from 120 is a big difference. Went out to a field, direct cut head, stripper cut head, both long-term no-tillers. The stripper cut head kept the sun and wind off the soil surface, mainly kept the sun off the soil surface, keep the soil covered. That's the tall one on the left. His soil biology, the roots are rotted away. The short residue, sunlight and heat got to the soil surface, even though it was long-term no-tiller, he didn't have enough soil biology there. So again, temperature affects that soil biology. That long-term no-tiller, he used a shank opener. Little too much tillage, didn't have much residue. His field looked like that. When it's 120 degrees out, he measured his soil temperature at 160. Again, what's that do for soil biology, even though he's a long-term no-tiller? It's not there. Another guy I met, he had a shank opener. He's in a canola wheat rotation. His field looked like that, and he's getting ready to seed wheat in a month. What do you think he had for soil biology? Compared to his neighbor that had a disc opener, the same canola wheat rotation, get ready to seed wheat in a month. This one's got a lot better chance. There's the one that amazed me. 10 to 12 inch rainfall area, cover crop. Drug my heel to the line, cover crop versus no cover crop. After a couple weeks of 120 degree heat, which one had a better soil and had moisture? In an eight or a 10 to 12 inch rainfall area. Here's a producer who was proud of his cover crop. This is what I learned, it's not biomass, it's not how much of the residue, it's do you have the living root. He says that cover crop doubles his wheat yield compared to where he has no cover crop. And I'm going like, huh? You know, I was taught back in the 80s, at least 30% cover, more, better, you know, and all this stuff, and I'm going like, there's not much there. That's when I started thinking about it. 10, 12 inch rainfall area. Went over and pulled up a sunflower. That's all the root it had. But it was a living root in moisture. Where there was no cover, there was no moisture because it dried up. So again, the cover crop in a low rainfall area and there's moisture there and something growing and soil biology is alive and its wheat yield is doubled. And that's when I started changing my opinion on is it biomass or is it living root? I think it's the living root. Living root, you got some prevented planted areas. Well, the worst things you can do is leave it bare. No, you don't worry about that. Mother Nature will fill it in with weeds for you. I'd rather do a cover where I can control it. Get something growing. Bare areas. From South Dakota to about St. Louis, the Missouri River in 2011 was out of its banks and the bottom ground looked like this the next spring. 
Saturated soil conditions for about four months. What do you think soil biology did? Died. You know, for those who don't know what that's like, it's not pretty. When you go down the road, you see your field looking like this. John Wilson, our extension educator up uh, near Tecama, Nebraska, went out on that poorly bottom, that flooded bottom ground in 2012. No cover crop, irrigated corn that next summer, made 210. He went out the last week of February, the first week of March, put out 75 pounds of oats to get a living root in the soil, to wake up the mycorrhiza, to get the soil woke up, and picked up 31 bushels because he woke up the living soil. Peas, oats, he thought he could fix some uh, nitrogen there. I can buy nitrogen cheaper than what 40 pounds of peas cost me. But again, the key is feeding that soil, waking it up. Oats being very mycorrhizae friendly, that's one of the things you need when it comes to trying to recover that soil system. I'm not a fan of livestock grazing covers. I realize for income it might be. For managing it for soil health, there's a lot of positives. But I'm planting my covers a lot thinner than the guys who are grazing them. I'm not putting any fertilizer to my covers because I'm not grazing, I'm not trying to raise feed. I'm not using near as much water as the guy who's raising a lot of feed. And I say that because there's different ways to manage covers. And for the producer who says, I'm gonna plant a cover, and are you gonna graze it or not? Ah, oh, wait and see what happens next year. No, you decide when you plant it, because you're gonna do a higher seeding rate, you might put some fertilizer to it, and you're gonna plan on it using water because you're raising feed. That is different than me spraying this stuff out this big because I had a living root feeding the soil. Feeding the soil doesn't take near the biomass that feeding these four-legged critters do. So again, they're managed differently. Do some digging. Our field days, we always dig a soil pit. This is a longer term no-till. You got wheat in the rotation, you got covers in the rotation. We're getting black deeper in the soil. Remember, it's the sunlight energy and carbon dioxide through photosynthesis, through the root exudates, through all the processes involved that put the black back in the soil. You need that living root. A little commercial for our University of Nebraska crop production, crop scouting newsletter called Crop Watch. That's a weekly or bi-weekly, uh, depending upon the growing season. We've spent a lot of time looking at the crop above the ground. Let's look below the ground. Let's look at soil biology below the ground. Let's look at what we're doing below the ground. The key is start now. Thanks to Paul Yasa for that enlightening presentation. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider joining us for the 28th Annual National No-Tillage Conference next year in St. Louis, Missouri, from January 7th through the 10th. Visit notillconference.com to register. To listen to more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies, please visit notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Yetter Manufacturing, for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at jakeerlock at lessetermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2404. And if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or the Google Play Store to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our no-till insider daily and weekly email updates and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R and our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Julia Gerlach. Thank you for listening. 